Um, turn with me to the book of Ephesians 1, verse 17. Uh, we'll be reading to verse 21. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can join me as we read Ephesians 1:17. This is what it says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. You know, I know that in the last um, 48 hours has been one heck of a uh, uh, time. Things have gone from zero to 100, just like that. And now we're trying to come to terms in, with this new normal. In this moment, we're probably wondering and asking when would things get back to the way it used to be. Because when you turn to the news, you see this amplified sense of um, concern. When you look on social, there's the unfortunate reality of um, the spread of rumors and unreliable news sources. And uh, maybe your blood pressure is kicking in. At the same time, we're trying to look at uh, the institutions that we trust, that we're hoping that can help us, and we find them insufficient. In our politics, we see chaos, we see division. In our economy, many are facing the prospect of job loss and um, uh, retirement benefits um, getting lowered. In our social world, we are seeing people having to deal with isolationism as people um, uh, are, are practicing social distance, distancing as we should. Um, and all this, all this, at the end of the day, the thing that is uh, bogging us, the questions that we're asking is where can we look for hope and for assurance? Where can we get this hope? Where can we get this help that we need even right now? It is in light of this that myself and the team decided to uh, start this new series um, called Unshaken Hope to encourage you to point you towards a, the, the solid foundation that we believe transcends this um, present um, circumstance. In other words, our hope for you is that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be um, 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 anxious. You don't, have to be, you don't have to panic because we believe that there is a hope that we have that can give us a sense of peace and a sense of calm. In this um, letter that Paul writes, Paul, who is an apostle, a follower of Jesus, writes this prayer to churches in um, the city of Ephesus, this great, beautiful city. And, his, and, and this prayer, I would say, actually... Um, uh, is something we also need as well. He writes that the church, the churches may have this spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they can know Jesus better. 
that they can know Jesus much deeply. Here, the knowledge of Jesus is not just something that we can acquire by um, intellectual abilities, by how much we can read scripture. It is not acquired by um, relying on our past experience or our former Sunday school class. This um, knowledge of Jesus is actually a deep, tangible experience of Jesus. It's a knowing of Jesus in the here and now. More and more, um, I, I feel this conviction for myself that my relationship with Jesus has less to do with him and more to do with me, more to do with what I want, more to do with what I need, my comforts, my, my, uh, uh, my wants. And maybe this is true of you as well, that your relationship with Jesus has been centered around you and what you want and what you need. I think there's a deep knowing, a deep relational connection to Jesus that goes way beyond that. And it actually gives us, again, a sense of peace because he's able to give us this unshaking hope that we all need. So what Paul is writing here is this, is that as we know Jesus better, as we build this relationship with Jesus much deeply, what happens is that we can now look back to the hope that God has called us. We can now look forward to the glory of God's inheritance in us. And we can actually look upwards to God's insurmountable power that is able to sustain us even now. So that's what I want to talk about today. Those are the three points that we know Jesus by looking um, backwards, looking forward, and looking upward. So we look backward to the hope that we are called. For us to actually understand this hope that we've been called to, I think we need to understand what it is not. First, we need to understand that it's not a false hope. It's not this material hope that can fade away, that is temporal. It's actually something that is long-lasting, that is permanent. It's interesting, too, because I think a lot of our fears and anxieties that we experience is a clear indication that we've built our lives on false hopes that the fears that we often experience, the fears that I often experience, the insecurity that I often experience myself, is because I have built my life on a false hope. And when I've been disappointed by it, I've seen and noticed that, oh wow, yeah, it's temporal. It doesn't last. Does it now mean though that when we are faced with problems and issues like we're facing now with, um, um, with, with our economy and our politics? Does that mean that we're supposed to be these robotic, unflinching Christians? No. They are real. The pain is real. Um, the, the disappointments are real. But what happens when we actually continue to look back and see what Jesus has done? What happens then is that we actually can still stand strong that we can actually be those wounded healers, 
that we, it's like we're walking barefoot, barefooted in the road, but we can still walk because we have the strength to do so. The difference is here is this, is that when we build our lives on uh, this false narratives, false hopes like wealth, wisdom, and pleasures, we inevitably live and fall by them because they will eventually fade away. So we are not called to a false hope, but we are also not called to a disembodied hope. This is what I mean. Often when we think of hope, we think of um, optimism. We think, well, I have this hope, so I must be optimistic. But the reality is optimism has this hint of uncertainty. It's, it's like, well, 80% of the, of the, of the time, eight, there's an 80% chance that things will turn better. And when we rely on that, we see that, well, there's also a 20% chance that things might not turn better. There's a hint of uncertainty. This is this disembodied hope. But when we look to Jesus, this is not disembodied. We are actually um, uh, looking to someone who stepped into time and space in a historical time into our world. God steps into our time. God steps into our history. There is no uncertainty, uncertainty about that. It's not dependent on the probability because it in fact happened. Our hope is embodied in the person of Jesus, who 2,000 years ago came into our world as a human being, who was um, uh, crucified on the cross for our sins, and who also is raised from the dead for us. Um, the late scholar and author T.F. Torrance um, says it this way, and this, I think this is, is brilliant. He says this, apart from that historical act of God in history, there is no knowledge of God, no real experience of God's help and redemption. Christianity has to do with men and women with contingent history, with our involvement in relativity in the reality of events as they happen. Redemption that is not actualized in our history is no redemption for us at all. It does not touch us and will not be intelligible. And this is why the coming of Jesus into our very time and into our very space was necessary because that was the only way we can actually receive it. That was the only way that we can actually understand it. Jesus putting on human flesh and coming into our world. And as John the writer says, we see Jesus, we witness him, and is in, in so doing that we can actually now be redeemed by God. So we look back to the hope that is in Jesus, but we also look forward to the inheritance that comes through Jesus. We look forward. We live in a society today that is so adept in planning for the future, getting all our plans and details and, in order. And this gives us a sense uh, of control over our lives because we, 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 we get to plan for the future. We get to, to work for the future. 
we get to uh, give and put money into our retirement. But what if I tell you that there's a future that you are not required to plan for? That there's a future inheritance that we can receive that you're not required to labor and toil for? What exactly is this inheritance? Paul actually says this inheritance is God's inheritance. And Paul's prayer is that we can um, um, understand and know the glorious inheritance in his holy people. What Paul is trying to say here is that we see and know that we are God's inheritance. That God values us as we, as we are, as his children, as his sons and his daughters. God affirms us that even in the midst of our, our current situation, God has not somehow turned his back on us, but he's actually with us. I mean, it reminds us of, of Jesus when he was baptized when, uh, um, in, in the River Jordan. God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And God is saying that to us as well. We are his children. We are his sons and his daughters. We are his beloved, and he is well pleased with us. But this, this also points to our own inheritance, which is God. The inheritance that we receive, that we, we get from God, for, for, um, from God, is God himself. He is our gift. And we saw that as we talked about looking back, Jesus himself, the gift to us, the Son of God who came for us and died for us, all to show us that we are valued by God, that we are cared for by God. So we don't put our hope in just this life, but we look ahead to what we have gotten. We look backwards to what God has given us in Christ, and we look towards the inheritance that we receive through Jesus Christ. This does not make us less engaged. In fact, it makes us more engaged. Because in this very fact, we can actually turn to our neighbors, to our friends who may be experiencing uh, pain and, and in a dire situation. We can actually turn to them and help them because we see that they are valued by God as well. C.S. Lewis talks about it this way. He said, hope is the one theological virtue. Uh, hope, sorry, hope is one of the, the theological virtues. These, this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. So for us who have received this hope, for us who have received this inheritance, it doesn't mean that we escape. It doesn't mean that we hide. It actually means that we, we, we turn to our neighbors and that we trust Jesus and we help those who are in need around us. So we look backwards, we look forward, we also look upward. 
We look upward to God's power that enables us to endure because we cannot do it on our own. You know, one of the advantages of being 6'5 and 235 pounds is the enormous physical strength that I have. Um, I'm always slightly impressed when I see someone struggle and having to need my help and then me coming to help and lift that very thing and, and notice, wow, this is very light. I can do this. I'm strong and powerful. But then when I'm around people who are stronger than I am, who are um, bigger than I am, I am humbled because I realize that I'm not as strong as I think. Or you think of the most wealthy person in the world whose enormous wealth is more than some of the poorest countries. They can do whatever they want. They can go wherever they want. They have all the money you can think of. Yet, with all that power, um, with all that wealth, they still cannot conquer the one thing that is coming for us all. They cannot conquer death. Death is that great equalizer that levels the playing field. We, every one of us, are susceptible to it, including that wealthy person. Yet there is a power that is able to create worlds. There's a power that is able to establish galaxies, a power that is able to put the sun, the moon, the stars in place, a power that is able to create life. And that even when humanity um, um, fell and fell into sin and death, that same power is able to conquer death. There's a power yet still that's able to conquer sin and able to conquer death. And Paul, in verse, um, verse 19, talks about it, that this is the power, the same power that, that, that was able to raise Christ from the dead. That same power that now rules over every um, um, authority, every wealthy person, every uh, um, um, dictator, there is a power through Jesus Christ that is able to rule over our world. And because of this, he wants us to know the power that he has that is able to sustain us, able to um, help us endure even this time. So my friends, I believe that even as we face these challenges now and that is to come, I believe even as we have to deal with some of our fears and anxieties that can often cripple us and paralyze us, I believe we can face them because we have this unshaken hope in Jesus. We have this lasting inheritance from Jesus. And we have a greater power through Jesus that is able to sustain us even in, this, in these uncertain times. And my prayer, my friends, is that as we get to know Jesus much deeply, that he would open our eyes to these truths to these truths, 
that he will open our eyes to see that we are so loved and cared for. And even now that he is with us and is guiding us. So would you pray with me today as we close?